0: Hello everybody, thank you very much for coming to the beginning of our fourth full season of Bad Talks. So first off, we just wanted to say thank you, thank you very much for supporting the community that we've been building now. Um, this will be our fourth full season. Uh, we have a lot, of, uh, a lot of rich topics to talk about, um, and we're very, very grateful to the uh, community that keeps suggesting these wonderful topics. Um, and keeps pushing this conversation further. Um, To see our full slate of topics for the year, stop at our website badtalks.com. That's where you'll go to RSVP for any of the future talks. Um, That's where you can kind of see all the social media and all that various kind of stuff. And you can also see videos of our past talks um, and uh, get kind of introduced and familiar with our past panelists. Um, We have a great topic tonight on communication, which is something that um, clearly is a topic of great interest to everybody here. And we've put together a wonderful panel. Um, We are a self-sustaining community, meaning that we are depending on you for our future talks. If you have ideas, we would love to hear them. We're very excited to hear them. Um, And we're going to begin our our fourth year season is, is, uh, is set. Um, but we're already beginning to plan for our fifth season. So if you have a topic suggestion, please visit our website, badtalks.com, let us know. Um, and without further ado, Kyle.
1: Oh, wait, I have one of these. <laughs> um, although we'll, we will need this later. Oh, just pass um, it around. Um, there we yeah. go, sorry. <laughs> Instant feedback from <laughs> speaking into two microphones at once. Um, my name is Kyle Hepner. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of New England Home Magazine. I think in this crowd we pretty much all know each other, uh, which is a wonderful thing and is a, a one of the great things about the bad talks in general. Um, and I think Linda and Paul and John had a, a wonderful idea to begin these talks and clearly the fact that this many very busy, very important professionals continue to come out for these things means that it is actually striking a chord and that the talks are interesting and useful to everybody, which is very gratifying. Um, As John also mentioned, this is the beginning of our fourth season, believe it or not, uh, which means in the last three years we've done 12 of these. Uh, I was hoping that actually this talk could have been scheduled for last night so that the evil 13th talk which is on an incredibly scary topic for some people, could have been on Halloween, but that didn't quite work out. Um, but I do promise that you know, in this whole kind of conversational thing, we will be stripping you all emotionally naked and making you very uncomfortable tonight. Uh, so just keep that in mind. And so it would have been very appropriate. Um, all kidding aside, however, communication is probably the single theme that has come up in every single session we have had so far the bad talks uh, because it is so critical to any kind of collaborative endeavor. Um, And so when uh, we were getting together this past summer to plan these sessions that came up as why don't we just do a session specifically on that since it has been an aspect of everything. Um, I'm very happy to have a wonderful group of people here tonight to talk about that um, starting at this end. We have Paul Guitar from Woodmeister Master Builders, Hi. whom many of you have known and worked with. Uh, we've got Chip Dewing from Doing Schmidt Kern's Architects out in Concord, nice whom job. many of you have yeah, probably worked yeah, with. Yeah. The mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, Rachel Ryder, Rachel Ryder Interiors here in Boston, whom many of you have probably worked with or should work with. In fact, yeah. I would love to see actually like this group do a house together. In these days. Yeah. <laughs> park, Maybe we should have like yeah. a whole bad talks kind of development company. Yeah. So they... this whole house,
2: but
3: yeah, it's like we that, put together a panel a for this yeah. purpose, but uh, then that, they have to either. actually go out and make <laughs> a house
1: afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be cool. Yeah. Um, and also, in the interest of kind of opening up things and bringing in some perspectives that are not just from our industry, as important as those are, for this communication talk, we brought in a communication specialist who, as it turns out, was also a practicing architect for 20-some-odd years, Right. although I didn't know that at the time, although Linda probably did. Uh, we've got Chuck Wisner from Wayland. Uh, um, Manchester. Oh, you're in Manchester
4: now. In Manchester Maths, yeah. Oh, my sorry. Website Your website says Wayland. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Manchester Maths.
1: Um, and Chuck mm. also has a book that we will be talking about, which is either due out shortly or just came out. Next year. Next year. Coming out next we'll year. my um, and he specializes in consulting with a lot of companies and executives and other people specifically on communication issues and so for obvious reasons seemed like a good fit for tonight. Uh, so welcome all of you, welcome all of you. Uh, one bit of business before we jump right in. Um, as you know if you've been to any of these and most of you have, it's a very collaborative kind of talk. We don't present from up here and then have questions at the end. Uh, we urge you to contribute your thoughts and questions kind of as we go along. Um, Linda is our microphone person for tonight, so if you do want to say something, if I could ask you to kind of grab her attention so she can bring you the mic, uh, that kind of helps speed things up a little bit. Uh, As you've noticed, we are actually being taped, so you will all be famous after this is over. Uh, And that just kind of helps keep things moving along so there aren't long gaps in the tape waiting for people to talk. That being said, um, I think we should just jump in, starting with some of the basics of communication, regardless of what industry, regardless of what type of interactive project you're on. Um, Chuck, maybe since you're the expert on this, you might want to sort of start up with, you know, kind of what are some of the fundamentals of good communication?
4: Do we have a couple hours? (laughs) <laughs> um, howdy, nice to be here. I'm probably the least known person in the room, but it's nice to be here. It's fun for me to circle back because I it was an for a long time and, and, uh, and circling back is, is uh, nice to bring my new, new skills into this world. Um, the fundamentals of communication, um, it's a mouthful. Um, I work with a lot of different companies. The one The one thing it's in common is us human beings. (laughs) And no matter what the industry, whether it's a car car company, or an electric company, or a tech company, when I get in there and we start talking about conversations, it's the human beings around the table that are creating the mess. (laughs) So we all have to sort of pay attention when it comes to this, because we're part of the deal. Um, And so I wanted to give you two sets of four things that Whatever we talk tonight, I might circle back to these because they're sort of the structure of my book and they're sort of the fundamentals of when people are having to work through tough issues or have um, differing opinions about things that are helpful crutches to say, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's think about this. There's basically four conversations. Whenever we're talking, there's four basic conversations. They are stories. So no matter what happens, everybody in this room has a story about what their day was, about what their work, what their work was today, and, and, and who you are, and who the contractor is, and who the people you're working with. We all have stories. That's a beautiful thing, it's also a trap, because we get really hooked on our stories. Um, that's sort of where our ego goes. It wants to sort of latch onto our story, And god dang it, I'm right. And that person across the table is nuts. So that's a really important conversation. The second one is, as soon as I come out of me, and I'm sitting with Kyle, we're in a conversation together. So we're in a perspective conversations, where there's multiple perspectives in the room. And there's a real skill in that conversation about how we listen, how we advocate, how we ask questions. We don't do that particularly well. The third conversation is possibilities, which is the creative conversation. Once we hear each other, then ideas will pop up, and um, we might think of things together that I wouldn't have thought of myself. And the last conversation is commitments, which is action, which is making promises. Who's going to do what, when, why, how? We have a preference for those of stories, perspectives, possibilities, commitments, what do you think are the two that people like best? Stories. stories, and what else? Yeah, so a lot of different answers. The two that are most common are stories and commitments. Because we love to get, go to a meeting sometime and just listen with these four conversations in mind, you'll hear a lot of stories, and then someone's gonna say, okay, what are we gonna do? And it goes right to that. What's the action we're going to take? And what happens is, I call it a conversational bypass, where we go from stories to commitments. And these middle two, which is where all the juicy good stuff is, where we learn from each other and think of new things, perspectives and possibilities, gets, gets passed. So one of my things is to be aware of that and slow, down, slow things down enough that you can go to that middle ground. Because that's where we collaborate. That's where we learn from each other. So that's the four conversations. If you got hooked on a story, or you're sitting across from someone that's hooked on a story, there's four basic things that are going on. Everybody in that room has a concern. They have a concern for tomorrow. Will we we have this battle again tomorrow? Um, Will next week be as painful as this week? Will the next change order look like this one? Um, We have concerns, and they're legitimate. The second is authority. There's always authority issues. Power issues. You have to stop and say, what's what's going on here? Who's the boss? Who's paying the bill? Who's making the decision? Who's doing a power play? There's always power issues. The third is desire. What do you want? What's your goal? What are you afraid of? What do you don't want? Uh, So desires is big, and everybody around the table has a different, potentially a different desire. And the last one is standards. It's phenomenal. Every time we make a judgment, every time we have an opinion, we're basically doing it on standards that we hold that we might not even be aware of, right? Good design, bad design, you know, good detail, bad detail, whatever it is, we have standards and they make so much sense to us that we forget that the other person might have a different standard that is just as relevant or just as, you know, possible to make a good project. So anyway, I'm just laying this two sets of four out there to dance with because, um, you know, I'll refer back to them in in the conversations we have. Sorry about being long-winded.
1: No, that's exactly, I mean, this is good because it does, one of the things that we talked about on our conference call last week to discuss this a little bit, which is the importance of when you're getting into a collaborative endeavor, as this one obviously is, so it's kind of a test case in a way for what we're talking about. Um, One of the important first steps is getting everybody together and defining What you're doing together, how you're going to be talking, what are the perspectives we need to keep in mind. Um, And so, you know, not getting into unproductive discussions that go from that. Um, One thing, Paul, I wanted to kind of bring you in was you had mentioned also uh, a slight sidelight to what Chuck had said was sort of the importance of people's experiences and feelings, you know, as a context for what they say. Right. doesn't actually come out in their words. Were we
5: talking about uh, the anxiety that we are talking about? That That comment? Yeah. Yeah. So, by the way, I live in that first camp of storytelling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm working with my coach to make my stories more succinct and shorter and and clear. Yeah, right. So, I'll let you know how I'm doing on that, all right? Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, um, you know, with with communication, with power and with authority, whether it's on the team, the project team, working with the designer, architect, um, is recognizing the anxiety of the situation.
2: Yeah.
5: And ultimately, if we don't present to anxiety, and you just leave it out there, um, it leads to dissatisfaction at the end, which is the experience, right? And that's why people use us for expertise, but also for the experience at the end as well. So there's a lot of things I can, I can agree with what you're saying, like the four storytellings. Um, I think in everything, what happens too when we have our meetings, we get hijacked, right? Yeah. It's just, you're off the tracks now, and you're down the path, and it's like, oh, here we go. Seatbelt's on, you know? Happened to me on Friday, that's why I missed a call, so. Um, I think that the thing is, if we can slow down, be more aware, be more centered, uh, have the courageous conversation, but also be willing to have the, uh, the ability to courageously listen as well to what's happening. You know, so these are just things that I practice and that I agree with a lot of things that you're saying. Well, it was funny when, when I was talking to Kyle about the, the four kinds of conversations, I never taken the time to actually write it down that way. It's like, oh, wow, brilliant. You know, so I, I can agree and I live in a lot of those places that you're talking about.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the emotions that we feel, um, our emotions are nothing but a physical manifest, manifestation of our thoughts. So your concerns, the issues of power, your desires and your standards are all running around in the background. And when you get triggered in a meeting or because someone's saying something you don't agree with, we get triggered and then we get the emotional hit. The chemistry runs through our body and we get the emotional hit. So just remembering to go, oh, well, let me talk about what my concern is. I really care about right. this. And, and just enough to capture yourself and you. the, the short term for the, for the C-A-D-S as CADs. So capture your own little CADs that are running around your little brain and go, wow, let me just expose a little bit of that. Yeah. And then Actually, if, you, if one person does it, it sort of models it for other people. It does. You can sort of does, right. slow well, things down.
1: And a, a sidelight on this kind of to loop in uh, Chip and yep. Rachel. I mean, since the two of you are often the ones who are in at the genesis of a project yep. and are kind of like bringing the client to it, mm you know, as the team is getting assembled and this whole conversation is getting underway, how do you recommend or how have you experienced getting this kind of rule setting and goal setting and, you know, here's how we're going to interact on this agreement conversation going in the first place?
6: Um, Well, I always think having a kickoff meeting with the whole team is really important. Um, You know, not any project is the same, be it the team that you're working with or the clients. of understanding all the players and also understanding everybody's role. Certainly we each bring our own expertise to the project, but there's also areas in which there's a lot of overlap and understanding how we're going to work together and who's going to take the lead on what I think can be really helpful to establish right off the bat and help alleviate some of the issues that may arise as the job moves forward.
7: It's hard to reach back in time if you don't set the the mood at the outset. so there's there's a great sort of risk in in uh, not not covering all the bases early on, uh, setting those expectations for sure. Uh, and our language is really drawing as designers and architects. That's that's in a, so we need to speak that language, and we have to teach our clients how to how to speak that language too. And oftentimes that's where things come off the rails when there's that disconnect between the language that we speak in the form of building sections or, or roof plans that are otherwise kind of Chinese to a lot of our uh, clients we need to know when and where to to, to, to put that language in front of them to, to get positive feedback but uh, a lot of us work uh, on projects that are remote three four or five hours away so our drawings are really the they talk for us, uh, and uh, so if they're not buttoned up, uh, that too is a, an opportunity for for uh, the the project to come unravelled, uh, and you you lose the confidence of the builder if the builder sees documents that are not thoughtfully prepared. So again, I back to communication we have a silent way of communicating in the form of our documents and our drawings. And right. I think we need to remember that when, when we come back to this whole topic of communication because if we don't do that well, we, we're not helping anybody.
5: Mm-hmm. I think most of our clients that we work with may not understand the, the language, but they do understand process. I mean, a lot of these clients we work with are well-to-do, affluent, highly-educated, own businesses and understand how a project should run from start to finish. And that's, to me, is always one of the first touchstones that we always want to try to establish with the client or with yeah, the yeah. teams. What is the process? And you understand the process.
4: In the communication piece around expertise, you know, we all have our expertise. It, when you are good at something, it's so easy to forget that other people don't know what you know, and so you can, you can make a point and they're looking at you like you have green hair or something because they don't know your world. But just remembering that you have to bring people along. They hired you because you're an expert, right? but you, can't, you, you have to assume that they don't know what you know. Right. And that's just a huge trap and it's, it's true in most of life. That's why parents and teenagers have a hard time because parents think that their kids think like they do and it's like, forget it, it's you another know, world. Yeah.
7: I'd like to jump into email a little bit do we oh, oh. <laughs> that's uh I've, I've, I've been in practice long before email was on was was considered the way to communicate and uh, it it isn't always the way to communicate. I think we have to be very kind of deliberate about the the communication techniques that we use to get the message across and and uh, we're finding now that uh, even though in this world it's hard to get a group of four or five or six people together on a weekly basis, there are ways to do it—not uh, necessarily electronically, but but in you can break the team down a little bit and make sure that there are there is some face-to-face going on all the time. Because if if it, uh, res, if it resorts to nothing but email, it loses it loses its. Uh, uh sort of the connectedness that it needs to to be successful and i think we all we we discussed this offline and i think there was a common feeling that email isn't always the right way to to get a point across and sometimes it's the easier way to do it because you don't aren't going to get that instant you got to be kidding or (laughs) but uh i think we have to be careful not to lean on email too much
6: i mean i think it can be a good source of documentation but I think um, oftentimes you read an email in a way that wasn't necessarily how it was intended. And so that can lead down the wrong path if you think you know, somebody is <coughs> taking a tone with you that maybe they're not meaning to. And oftentimes if you just pick up the phone or um, you agree on a time to all get together and work something through, it can be a lot more effective than going back and forth a couple rounds on email. Yeah.
1: I mean, you have- If I can just jump in, I mean, you have quite a number of options at this point because Mm -hmm. there are people who like to text, uh, which we'll probably, we might even want to go through the pros and cons of each of these. I mean, texting, there's emailing, there are phone conversations, there are conference calls or go to meeting, uh, there are video conferences for people who can do that, and then there are face to face. You know, um, maybe we want to kind of take a quick minute and sort of talk about each one of those things. Um, And you had also mentioned that you and your team are often using Google Docs now Mm -hmm. as kind of a hyper email or almost a wiki thing where people can all be on the same page and see the same stuff and contribute their own comments and whatever to this central document. And so that's kind of yet another electronic enhancement to what used to be available for communication.
6: Yeah, we found it's a great tool, um, especially for some of the construction documents for Paint schedules, tile schedules, lighting. Um, everyone on the team can be on the Google Doc and editing it in real time so that we're constantly have the most up to date um, and everybody's in the loop. So that can be definitely an effective yeah. tool.
1: I mean, has anybody else been using Google Docs or some kind of online format like that? Yes, uh, recently I've been working on the whole
6: house project and. Um, <laughs> thanks. <coughs> What we've been doing, I really agree with what you're saying. Uh, email, things can get lost in translation gets really complicated. So what we've been doing is weekly phone meetings that accompany the Google Doc document where we can all put in our changes and uh, you know when is this going to happen, what date, et etc. I found it to be very helpful. I'm pretty new at it, but it's, it's a good tool.
4: Yeah. There's also some products, um, there's one out of uh, 37 Signals in Chicago called Basecamp, which are generally designed for internal teams, but it's a very good process because it, whether you're internal to a company or you're external and you're a team that's you know in different locations, it really gives you a way to, to document things, to schedule, to have a, 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 someone raise their hand back there, and he can probably explain it better than me, but um, they're very useful, and I, there's no reason that... Non intact team shouldn't be able to use those tools. Yeah,
7: I also think there's their clients out there that get Very anxious when they see seven consultants in a room (laughs) face-to-face because they know what they're paying (laughs) per hour and And they've had to get there and They've had to go (laughs) home and you know There's so if it can be done in a form of a video conference or the Google Docs I know the client May not express it, but but I know they feel it, and that uh, you're doing them a favor. And traffic, as we all know now, is becoming a, a, a difficult thing to schedule We're around. I today
5: on the Pike. There's no tolls
7: anymore. true <laughs> <laughs> all the way in. But this, but actually, Kyle, did you want yeah.
5: to talk about
1: Basecamp or something?
5: Yeah.
2: Oh. I think I have it. Yeah, I was just going to add that we uh, our office has been using Basecamp for the last seven years. And actually, one of the, the best features of it is that you can see when your client has logged in and looked at the files that you have posted. Because some of the many things that a lot of clients uh, miss is that you are communicating to them, but sometimes they just aren't really paying attention. They have all of their other projects that they're working on, their own lives, their own businesses. So for us, the Basecamp has actually been a really great tool as a central base camp to be able to monitor who's been looking at what and also effectively communicate it. Because as we found, our clients are getting younger and younger, and they want more instantaneous information to happen faster. Yeah. Um, but also that they're traveling, and they're not in the same place at the same time. So they want that information right at hand. So I, it's a great great suggestion. I just wanted to sign off on that. Great.
4: Thanks. Um, email interesting thing about email is that it it evolved out of letter writing so you know we all grew up well I grew up writing letters um, <laughs> and you know and email technology came along and all of a sudden we have this ability to write each other and now but we think of it like writing a letter and so I'm I, I'm working with clients around shifting how they think about it and that use email in a very conscious way to just Be very intentional. And and what I suggest is at the beginning of every correspondent, every email, you just say what's the intent of this? Am I asking for something? Do I need information? Am I offering information? Do I need a decision? Just like headlines like that. No one reads subject lines anymore. So ignore them. (laughs) But at the front of your email, if you can set an intention, there's only two things that happen. We make requests and we make offers and we make decisions. Those are the three things that happen. If you can set that up front, it's really helpful.
1: Actually, we've got a question back here.
8: Hi, how are you? Um, I was just wanting to get the panel's um, feedback on <clears throat> talking about the electronic communication and how much that has been uh, incorporated into our daily lives and businesses more and more and more. And uh, the aspect of such the emotional experience that happens in the business that we're in, where we're going into people's homes and we're being invited into their lives and talking about uh, or detailing out all the, all the nuance of their their personal, you know, daily lives, um, areas that they live in, how they're going to use the space. And not being able to gauge that nonverbal communication that happens that's in a face-to-face communication. And, and there must be some level of comfort that you all get to uh, during the process where you can get past saying, okay, maybe we need to be face-to-face in this instance, and then move it into a more electronic uh, perspective. And I thought that that may be interesting coming from the different areas or lens that you each on the panel look at the project.
1: Hmm. Right, that actually relates to a point, uh, Paul, that you made last week, which is sometimes, you know even in teleconferences, what you hear in people's voices right. doesn't necessarily reflect what you see in their body language when you're with them. Right, so right. like quite
5: often when we're inter- interacting with our clients and with the team, is uh, unless you have really good listening skills, as far as their tonality, you can pick it up. But also, another thing is, too, is that you're looking for their, their body language. You know, are they sitting like this, or they're like this, or they're pressed, you know? That just shows how they really feel about the situation, so. It's, once again, it's another, it's another awareness. It's another thing just to make sure. Um, I had a client that I asked, how do you like to communicate? Okay. Text. So I'll send them three texts and I go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Yep. Good. Yep. So at least we, we know, right? Yeah. Um, we had another substantial project where I didn't see the client for two years. That's a nightmare for all of us, right?
2: Yeah.
5: Talk about anxiety, right? And uh, we had WebEx meetings. And we were very structured, very committed to it. We were quite successful, you know? But it's just, it's very nerve-wracking because you don't get to see the client until she walks onto the job site and was like, do you like what we did, right? So, Were yeah, you
1: seeing I, other members of the team?
5: Yeah, so it was a WebEx, we, the, the architect was in Seattle, the designer was in Southern California, the structural engineer was in Wyoming, and we were all by ourselves out here in New England. And the project was in New Hampshire. Right. So a lot of, a lot of different vectors and, and angles we had to consider. So um, it worked well. We had, we had a Tourette, we did the roles and responsibilities, we understood, and we always had meeting minutes and RFIs and some middles, and, you know, and some projects deem that, and other projects may not deem that level of formality, but it's really understanding what is the project, what is, are the expectations, and what is the best way to, to communicate those expectations and deliverables. You know?
6: I think it's important too at the beginning of the project to determine how the client likes to communicate because every mm-hmm. client is different and I have some clients that I send an email and I get a reply back you know, right after I've hit send and I have other clients that I really need to have a face-to-face <laughs> with them in order to get right. somewhere and get some yeah. decisions. Yeah. Um, so you know, figuring that out early on I think is important in figuring out the best way to communicate with them.
4: Yeah, and having just like you were saying, Paul, having the conversation up front, going how do how do we want to do this? Set the context up front. Set set the the rules. You know, uh, it just saves a lot of. It does. It's still not going to go perfect, but at least you can go back and say, oh, we're going to change the rules now because mm-hmm. you like to do it this way. Mm-hmm. But at least we're on the same page.
5: I also take great notes. I showed someone else my little notebook here, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I have a you know I have a little box and I check off when that task was accomplished. But it's amazing if you. If you use a notebook or an iPad, you tend to remember things better if you write it down versus sure. far off a text or far enough yeah. an email, mm-hmm. right? it's, it's gone. You know?
7: Yeah. Ra- Ra- Rachel and I talked a little bit about that when an interior designer is brought in halfway through a project, what what that what can can happen? It's horrible.
6: Or yeah. <laughs> awful, right? Yeah. <laughs> All sorts of trouble. Right. Yeah.
7: <laughs> so to your very first point. Those kickoff meetings have to be at the kickoff, not you know at the halftime, sure. because it does indeed uh, cost major stress when yeah. we feel as if we had all that taken care of, and then suddenly yeah. there's some other good ideas, but nevertheless midstream, which is always a catch-up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we really suggest that the whole, whole team is in place before design work yeah, although gets I think
1: actually in fairness, I, I'd like to stay on this point for a minute because that isn't always going to happen Right, and in fact some member of the team and it might be the landscape people as much right. as they hate it It's often the designer uh, Will get brought in much later uh, And in fact that person may end up having a perspective or some knowledge about the client or find something in their discovery process that the team it would have been better if the team had known up front, but they don't so, in a sense, I would say when a new person brings in, comes in, you basically have to have a re kickoff meeting to say, okay, now that this person and his or her knowledge and experience and story uh, has become part of the mix, how is our novel going to change to incorporate that story? Uh, yeah, do you want to... I wanna- think
6: that's true. I, I mean, I find it's always a very delicate balance when you come in midstream because You have to very quickly understand the history of the project the different players that are involved in the project um, where the project currently is and what usually needs to be dealt with very quickly because usually the interior designers brought in when there's a lot of decisions that need to be made right away Um, so trying to come in and understand that quickly jump in and also not ruffle feathers um, you know have the client see you as an aid to move the project along, but also have the other team members see you not as you know a source to yeah. add yeah. complications to the job, but to actually right. help move things forward um, is always a fine kind of balancing act. It's yeah.
4: good good of you to say you know to to figure that out, but the the team that's been on the job for six months or a year, whatever the number. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be conscious of onboarding you because sure. they've had these conversations for a year that you haven't been privy to and they, they can onboard you in a way that you have much more context and, and feel like you're a part of the process because yeah. uh, yeah. otherwise you just get dropped in and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's easy to forget that you have to do that because it's so obvious that we've been talking about this and why, why shouldn't you know about it? Sure.
1: And this is actually, I think, a place where I might open it up a little bit to the panel, but also everybody here, it's sort of when those situations where the the, the kind of the, the brief basically does need to change and roles even sometimes need to be renegotiated because we all know there are places where any of these three people involved could be responsible for a particular aspect of that but somebody else could equally well and equally validly have been responsible for that too. You know, how do you renegotiate those things? Does anybody have experiences from your past life that you'd like to share about productive ways to do this? BZ?
6: So we're talking a lot about what the wish list would be in terms of an ideal situation and creating a a meeting and talking about who likes to communicate how. But if you are, any one of you kind of dropped in the middle of a project, and they don't, maybe there's some resistance to having you as a part of it. Like, do you, when you're coming in midway or at some point where there's already a team established, have it say as part of your contract that there is gonna be that meeting? Because sometimes there's, there's no one who actually wants the meeting except for you. I think then you need to make it happen. You know, even if it's not all in person, it's a call, um, it's yeah. figuring out what the criteria is that you need to know. You know. I always like to know exactly what the deadlines are that are coming up right away so I can help the client to focus on what we need to deal with. Um, I think it's crucial to moving the job forward in a constructive way and so you need to figure out a way to make it happen even if people aren't happy about it. I think in the long run it benefits everyone.
4: It's, uh, you know, everybody brings their story to the table and they might have a story, they don't want you there. So you have to make a, you have to tell a good story. Make your case, you know, and what you can bring to the table and just, sometimes you just gotta be, you know, assertive and do it. But you have to tell a good story. (laughs) Makes them wanna be with, bring you on board.
1: I mean, I would imagine that in a lot of situations like that, being assertive but also acknowledging that you know that other people are going to be a little bit hesitant or I hate to say hostile but sometimes Mm -hmm. it is hostile. It's like I know this is a real pain but for the client's good and the good of the project, we have to do this this way. I mean I try to make it clear
6: that I'm there to help both for the client but also for the job as a whole to move things forward and that's even the more reason I would think that they would want to come together as a team and have that meeting because if I have a little of the back history, then I can help you know, support what the architect's been asking for. I can help support the timing that the contractor or builder needs. Um, you know, I, I like it when people think of me more as a, you know, a, an aide rather than a foe. Um, and sometimes you need to make that clear right up at front. But um, it really does benefit the whole team.
1: Well, do you guys? Oh.
4: I just want to add another little trick. Um, when, when you have a situation like that, um, it's, turn it around and tell people you need their help. Ask for, ask for their advice, ask for their help. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for people to turn that down, uh, to, to invite, you know, ask them to, to, hey, here's what I want to do. How do you think I can engage with the team? Or Just draw them in that way, to, because it's really hard for them to, yeah. to uh, most people want to do that if you put it in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's an old saying, if you uh, want someone's money, ask for their advice. If you want their advice, ask ask them for money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably not entirely untrue. Um, Kind of staying a little bit around the same theme, I mean, are there times when you have found yourselves having to discuss how to manage communications with the client? So if the client is either saying different things to different people on the team or is only talking to one member of the team and not really to the others, is this something that comes up? Are there productive ways to work with that?
7: It certainly does happen. You know, that's the thing. We can all talk about the ideal world, which doesn't happen generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we find that there is this sort of a a triangle, if you will, of, of disciplines, the client and the builder and the design team, and over the course of the first month or two, we find that that just human nature wants to align two of those three in a collaborative way, not to, not to exclude the third, but to get the job done. It's often a way to sort of, because you talk the same language, and generally speaking, I think we make that alignment as designers with the builders uh, to... Get the job done and communicate well, and and that, for us, has been a is again it's not every project, but that little alignment early on is for us, not for everybody, but for us has been uh, sort of a a real important ingredient in our ability to deliver a good project. So, uh, not to cut the owner out, it sounds like you know we're going to. If we're going to team up on the owner. That's really not the intention. It's really to more to get the to get the communication between just two key players rather than trying to include everyone all the time. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so the communication obviously, in addition to just doing design work and finding out what people want and how it's going to happen, obviously includes things like budget and schedule. Um, and so to move to the dark side for a minute, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, as we said, we're not in an ideal world, and sometimes all communication isn't necessarily about pleasant things. What about things like schedule and budget, which I think everybody in this room knows will not be what you think it is to begin with? I mean, not if there ever that. been a project that, that never actually come it. It. in. Yeah, <laughs> right? So yeah. Yeah. how do you discuss? how to raise, sort of manage the client's expectations, and also who is responsible for communicating good or bad news about what, and is that something that you all talk about as a team, or does it just kind of happen ad hoc? Let
5: me take that one. Yeah, take that Oh (laughs) boy, okay. Um, Well, I guess it all depends on how the team's set up, right, and who's the lead. Uh, I know internally at our company we we all often ask that question: who's the lead on who's going to discuss that? But uh, to answer your question, is really explaining the process and the milestones and the deliverables of when and how and why are you going to present these things and, and communicating effectively. You know, um, let's face it: we're we're in an industry where you're not just pulling off a shelf. That's you know that's the price of it. It's changing every second. Subcontractors are not available, materials are crazy, lead times, you know. So right. there's a lot of variables. What we do is you call the dark side I call it black magic sometimes, you know? Right. But the client that client does changed
1: all the cabinet pulls at oh, the last minute yeah, or something that. Like happens that.
5: sometimes, or a light gets relocated or something, or right? But it's it's challenging to do that. And I think as long as you're 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 touching the key players and and communicating in an effective way. It's okay. You'll you'll get there together. You'll walk down the path together. And what you're trying to do is eliminate as most of the of the uh, unknowns as possible. But there's always that five percent. It's always there. You know. Doesn't matter how well you plan or the material you select or it was the wrong uh, appliance or wrong fixture. You know. So, um, and also communicating the way that the client really understands that. You know. We have a lot of anachronisms uh, in our company. And. Sure. When you hire new employees, you should give them a glossary or a dictionary and or a thesaurus saying, this is what this means and this is what this means. Oh, that's a new one. Let's copy that one down, right? So um, it's really talking their language and explaining to them and, and making sure you have clarity. And um, hopefully they'll, they'll remember that. You don't have to bring it back again up to them and again and again and again. But you have to make them feel comfortable. You have to gain their trust. And that's that's what it is, right? You know, building relationships, building trust, and and building an, an experience. So, it's it's there's no magic pill for it, right? But it's really how you set up up front the yeah. upfront you know, process.
7: I think that the word change order is sort of a microcosm <laughs> of, of this topic. Yeah.
1: Everybody know? winces in the room every time yeah. you
7: say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in, you know, there's different ways of handling it, and none of them are perfect. But uh, the in order to to make it as Less painful, make it less painful for all parties. It's all—it's all about communication. If—if you see something, it's beginning to smell like a change order. Time to talk about it.
4: Yeah, the enemy is time.
7: Yeah, um, around conflict.
4: If if, because we get afraid and say, "Oh God, how am I going to tell her about that?" You know, or how am I going to raise this, this three thousand dollar issue? Time. Sooner you do it, the better. You know, you you stress less. You stop telling yourself stories and you just go down the facts. You know, here are the facts. Don't embellish it with a lot of stuff. Just let's talk about it. Sooner the better. I think that uh, if. if I
6: have a question. Sure. Kind of related to that.
5: Good. Are you taking notes? You're taking notes, right?
6: (laughs) Yeah. On your iPad? (laughs) Um, So I have a question about the rules of what you should say to somebody in person or over the phone and what you should say in an email. So like anything negative, like should it always be, like we kind of have a rule in our studio that anything that's negative, like should you pick up the phone and call instead of send an email out, even Mm -hmm. though it's kind of scary
2: to do sometimes, Uh, so.
4: Yeah, that's not a bad rule, but underneath that, if you have something negative, remember my CADS, my CADS. Turn it around to yourself. You have a concern or a standard you have isn't being met or there's a power issue or you're not you're not getting what you want, you know, or the team isn't getting what they want. So talk about what's true for you. And then or you know, in an email, you say, I have a concern about this, let's talk. But don't say you did this. So don't ever point the finger in an email because it's just dangerous, because they're just going to fire back. You know, you bleep, right? So, talk about your concerns, talk about what's true for you, and invite them into a conversation. And even in that conversation, start revealing your story and then ask them about theirs.
6: I think, Paul, you made a really good point too that trust is key, and mm-hmm. as soon as you start getting into gray area where the client is questioning you it's a bad situation because it's hard to fully grant gain that trust back and so they're looking for things as you move forward so um, I really try to stay ahead of situations um, so that you know the trust stays intact because um, I think it's probably yeah. one of the most important exactly. aspects mm-hmm. of the relationship
7: yeah and I yeah. think that yeah. trust is sometimes called into question when a change order, back to that,
6: mm-hmm.
7: you, you require that the change order be signed before the work gets done. You know, that, that is basically saying to the homeowner, I'm not, I'm not sure I trust that you'll follow through on this unless I have your signature on a change order. It just begins to feel a little argumentative to me, rather than bringing it up in a meeting and being clear as you can be about what the nature of the change is. And that to get a buy-in on it with an order of magnitude, maybe, but but the idea of having to sign something, I think, is a little sort of threatening or or untrustworthy.
5: I mean, we we take an approach when we're in those situations that is, I I use the uh, the metaphor setting a table. Yep. This is what's coming. This is what I think it's going to be at. Mm-hmm. The project manager will follow up with a with a rougher magnitude or with an nice. estimate, and. We'll go ahead, and by the next month's building, you'll see it mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And you, usually, when you, you talk them through it, and, and you're not you're not shocking them, you're not scaring them, right? mm-hmm. You're having a conversation. Um, you never know what maybe the gift of that conversation may come out of. That's oh, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't talk about that, or maybe you need to go back and look at that again. You know, but timeliness is so so key. Mm-hmm. It's it, you got to get there very quickly. Yeah. You know, it's like like a cancer.
4: Like if we if, if, if we're afraid of something, generally it goes into a category of undiscussables. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to bring it up. And then the longer the time goes, the undiscussable becomes an undiscussable. And then we're really in the soup, you know, because <laughs> then we're frozen in conflict, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so this the time thing. It just you know just take it apart, have your position, and, and do it well. Just say here's yeah. here's what's going on.
7: I might add too. That applies to us. It's trying to, you know, if we, we think our fees need to be adjusted to cover whatever additional work we're doing, you got to be, you got to get on that as as fast as you can. Because to go back months later, uh, it looks looks irresponsible, and 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 again, it it lacks that sort of immediacy that it needs.
1: Yeah, I think doubly important because just speaking from my own experience, I don't and I think this is probably true for a lot of people too, it's like nobody wants to disappoint somebody or have to say bad things or give bad news or cause conflict. And so I tend to always delay it. And it's like, well, there are all these 60 other things that I can do first that are actually productive and positive or whatever. And then those bad things end up getting later and later and later. And I think yep. that speaks to your thing. Not only are they important to deal with up front, up front. but you have to kind of get over your own internal hurdle yeah. to make yourself deal with them quickly.
5: Too. So I had a past client, um, we were He's in a, cool. a tough spot. And uh, she goes, we're having a, a crisis de, de foie, crisis of the moment. And I said, great. And she goes, what? <laughs> you, you know what that means? Yeah, I speak French. And uh, I said, that's opportunity for me versus flight. And she looked at me like this, like, what? That's an opportunity to solve the problem, right? So that's, that's the moment, you know, making sure that you're presenting the timeliness and not feeding off her anxiety, right. right? I'm not helping her if I'm feeding off her anxiety, you know? Right. So just a little footnote there.
4: And, and if, yeah. if the other person is stressed or anxious, um, the single most um, powerful ling- linguistic move you can make is inquiry ask questions, mm. ask what they're worried about, ask what they're concerned Curiosity. about, Ask, right. but you have to ask honestly, you can't ask like an inquisition like, <laughs> and you did that because why? You know, it has to be an honest question, you really want to know what their concerns are or, or why they're upset. Inquiry is, for any tough situation, inquiry is really the most powerful move we have as humans to go, what's going on man, tell me, what are you concerned about? And it just settles things, you know. But it has to be very sincere. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Anybody have stories to share with us? Uh-oh.
4: Who's that?
5: Guys.
3: It sounds a lot in my experience. What you're talking about is communication. Is that uh, setting the expectations of what the communication is up front, early, and often? So effective communications in terms of with whom is uh, given the vastness or complexity of a project is in my experience an effective client communication matrix it is kind of a great tool So as the the players broaden, in Paul's case where he had, you know, five different disparate people across the country an effective client communication matrix is a great tool to use it outlines who and when, you know, if it's only the two major players, you know, then you, you, com- you can you communicate with them. But that's a, a great tool. And then in terms of budget and schedule and change order management being something that's kind of being afraid of it, in my experience, if you set your uh, communication up front and when you're gonna be doing those things, that they're not af- you're not afraid of them anymore. So with a project manager, if you let a client know that you're gonna communicate Budget updates on a monthly basis, and you do that from the beginning. It doesn't. Be, they're not as afraid of it. And same with schedule changes, and then certainly change order management, which is a real tough one for a lot of people. If you outline what that process is up front with them, again, effective communication. It's not as difficult to manage. Right. No. Yep.
4: There's a hand back there.
2: Oh.
7: <laughs>
4: Get your exercise. Mm-hmm.
8: Thank you. I just wanted to add on to what Paul and Chip were saying just about communication. I think one of the things that we've found to be very beneficial with communication is not surprising anybody with bad news. I think that's the worst part is to share bad information in front of a client without actually working with the team beforehand to solve that issue. Because a lot of times, like Paul said, there's an opportunity for us to solve a problem versus mm-hmm. just throw an issue on the table. So just to recognize that that team collaboration can really bring a lot of value to the table if that conversation happens early and not just thrown out to make yourself look good in front of a client. I think that makes us all look bad at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. That actually, I was thinking what you just said and. Uh, the previous comment, sort of, it touches on something that came up last year in one of our sort of war stories things which was the idea of kind of aggressive or offensive budgeting and scheduling where you have members of the team who are putting up either schedule figures or budget figures that you know aren't really going to be mm-hmm. but they're putting it out there because they know when things don't actually work out later in this thing it will look like somebody else's fault. So I don't yeah, know if yeah. that's too far off base for us to deal with here, but that, that actually sure. brings up. Well, no, that actually brings up an important <laughs> uh, an important aspect of the communication for what yeah. we've talked about. Because uh, as a lot of what we've been talking about tonight, and a lot of what gets said in a lot of these sessions over the years, is very kind of aspirational, and we are talking about here's how we would like to see things always happen. Uh, in reality, they don't necessarily happen that way, and it's good to be able to address that and have strategies. So for communication, it's sort of like, what are situations where you can figure out that at least one party isn't necessarily trying to communicate fairly, or is trying to impose their story on everybody else's, or isn't sort of being a good team member? Are there ways to kind of suss that out, A and B, deal with it without breaking up the team or looking bad in front of the client or things like that. That's kind of
4: a general.
7: One, one tip that's worked well for us over the years, uh, especially on the residential world, but it's <clears throat> to call clients on Fridays when you know they're all gonna be together for the weekend with their husbands or wives or family and just a check-in, just uh, here's what's happening in your project now it takes ten minutes, and it sets them sort of uh, a, their mind at ease for the weekend that they've had that conversation. And they know what's going on, and it's uh, it's it it sort of uh, shortcuts a lot of potential yeah. problems that might come at you on Monday.
5: Yeah,
7: because mm-hmm. you've had that that dialogue. It's really it just pays off. That's immensely.
4: The um, early, early in my career as an architect, um, one of the worst moments was uh, on a job site, a cold winter morning, um, a very contentious uh, relationship between the owner's rep and the contractor, at an on-site meeting, and uh, things got a little heated. The next thing I knew, the contractor was leaping across the table and started <laughs> beating up the. <laughs> reading up on the owner's rep. Um, so <laughs> that's not the way to solve those problems. Um, I, I think if you have, if something like that's going on, um, you're going to get in trouble if you do it in, if you get frustrated in a meeting and you get triggered in a meeting and, you, and you, then you go off on somebody, it's just going to escalate. If you can hold your tongue, gather your thoughts, become aware of what, what are your concerns, are there power issues, what's not working, and then have a private conversation. Invite them to say, you know, I, I have some concerns about how things are rolling, how the process is going. Invite them to a conversation. You can actually have a conversation to have a conversation, and, and do it privately. And, and you'll have much better, better luck that way than trying to nail them in a meeting. Right.
2: Yeah.
6: And I think trying to leave the client out of it as much as possible. Obviously, there's situations. Where that's not possible, but you know, as you mentioned, to try some of those other lines of communication before it gets to the point where the client feels like they're in the middle of things, because obviously that adds stress yeah. to a job. Um, mm-hmm. And
4: yeah, if if you can figure it out together, yeah. the client might not even need to know about it.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, uh, so save them that aggravation.
1: I mean, I think it actually loops back in a way to a point that was made earlier about you know sharing your own story and being and finding others. proactive, but then finding others, because I mean it's, it may be especially acute on teams like this, because everybody in this room, by the nature of what you do, you have a very specific kind of design idea and wish to kind of assert your creativity and your way of dealing with this problem, and a wish to do the best possible job and look good, both for your own kind of professional benefit and for the client. And so you've got a group of fairly strong-willed personalities automatically coming yeah. together for this and having to kind of negotiate and jockey for who gets what part of their story expressed in this.
4: Yeah. Um, well, that brings up the ugly word, the ego. <laughs> and in this business, there's lots of egos. Um, I've also worked in other companies, other industries. It's not much different. I've worked, I've worked for car companies for years. And Literally the, the analogy is they are they're building the same dang car, but there's a VP of marketing, there's a VP of design, there's a VP of engineering, there's a VP of production, the a VP of finance, and they're all they're all fighting. You know? Um, so it's a it's a similar thing. They have to get in a room and go, you know, what's our goal uh, here? Alignment. What's that? Alignment? Alignment. Yeah, right. absolutely. Because
5: yeah. the client sees that on the yeah. project, right? Yep. They can tell. Right. Yeah.
1: And if they're not seeing that you get into the trust problem
5: oh yeah yeah. because
1: then it's sort of like oh what's up here
4: well then we start pointing fingers you know
6: right and they can feel in the
1: middle of things yeah exactly It's not going to be productive for anybody Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. um we also one thing that came up when we had our call last week was again the importance of talking among everybody is the idea that sometimes communications can turn into a game of telephone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do we want to talk about instances where that's happened or how you counteract that or anything? Any um, input from out here? Mm, No. Well, that one went over well. (laughs) Um, Let's try something else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean, the, the basic themes that have come up Consistently throughout this, I mean, are building trust and keeping trust, we might want to talk about you know, if you sense that trust is eroding somewhere in one of the relationships, are there productive ways to notice that and counteract it?
4: Yeah, so here's the deal with trust. It's a really big subject. And if you say to someone, I don't trust you, that's a huge assessment. I mean, it, it's a scary thing to say, it's a scary thing to receive. And it's very complicated. So, again, we need, it's like in language, what we do is we deconstruct words, we deconstruct language. So trust is three things, and it really helps to break it down because then you can have a conversation, not that I don't trust you, but this is what happened and this is why. So the three elements are reliability. If you are doing things and you say you're gonna show up to a meeting at two o'clock, and you show up to a meeting at two o'clock and you're consistent, or you say you're gonna get the documents, or you say you're gonna pay the bill, that's how you establish reliability. People don't worry about it. Paul's gonna show up, Kyle's gonna show up. You know, that's good. The second is competence. Are, do people really get a sense that you're competent to do your job? And that's on all of us to prove our competence. And we all have a different role to play and, and we all bring our own expertise. Um, and you've, we've probably all experienced a feeling of being with someone that we felt wasn't competent and it quickly you know, moves into distrust. And the third is sincerity.
6: Mm.
4: And that means, do I, if, if I'm, am I saying what I'm doing? Am I walking my talk? Or do I say one thing to Paul, and then I turn around and say something else to Kyle? Or I say one thing in a meeting, and then I go back to my office and say, screw that, we're not gonna do that. That's an mm. issue of sincerity. If any one of those three, or any two of those three break down, that's where you start talking about trust. But it's a lot easier to come to you and say, you know, when that happened in the meeting, I wasn't sure if you knew you were supposed to be there or too, or was that a misunderstanding, but if we're gonna agree on times, can we agree on times? Right. That's a hell of a lot easier than saying, you know what, I don't trust you. But anyway, breaking it down is really helpful. Um, and then living up to each of those yeah. for all of us is really important
5: you never take it for granted you're, you're earning it every day every second every minute that's right right yeah. every, problem, every conversation right? Yeah. yeah
1: yeah so we knew on friday when you didn't make that call there was a really good it wasn't a trust it.
5: issue trust me. <laughs> trust <me. laughs> it was vermont beer it was a topic
4: <laughs> it, it only happened once and we can't say yeah. you weren't reliable right because yeah. you did show
1: up tonight yeah. so that's <laughs> right. thank, you. Yeah. thank you um well to kind of start rounding things up because we're actually getting close to the end of our time I'm going to put each panelist on the spot one at a time and basically say, sort of, from the things we've discussed tonight, was there any one particular point that was especially crucial for your own practice? Or is there something based on tonight's discussion that you will think about or do differently going forward? We'll start with Paul, since you're on the far end.
5: Thank you. Um, I think at a, at a philosophical level, you know, the, the thing that Chuck just said also about, about trust is um, as we were just recapping our conversation is that you're, you know, you're living it, you're breathing it every moment, you never take it for granted. You know, um, timeliness is so so imperative. I mean, we all, that's 95% of my job, whether it's internally or externally, it's the communication, keeping it going, yeah. efficiency, what's next, right? And then at the same time, to forecast what's coming down the path as well and communicate that well to the team and communicate to the client, hey, this is still coming. This has not been figured out yet. It's, it's there. It's there. We don't know what it is, but it's there, right? And you know, I was very excited to be on the panel tonight because sometimes I, I feel I'm in a silo by myself or an arena by myself, right? And you have your team. Your team is behind you. You have your support. And you have that, but. It's lonely sometimes having those tough conversations, whether it's with an architect, designer, or, or you know, a owner's rep, right, mm-hmm. or uh, with a homeowner. So, um, I guess my big takeaway is 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 going deeper in, into that stuff that we talked about tonight, not taken for granted, and and also to be be curious, to really be sincere, and ask the client, "Why do you think that is?" or you know what, what is the what is the solution to this? Why do you think that? Why do you feel this way? And really, just don't take it for granted. Don't think you already have figured out. I've been in this movie before. I know it's going to happen, mm-hmm. because you may be totally surprised. Right, right,
7: yeah. right. Well, Chip, what about yeah. you? Well, I guess uh, my takeaway would be uh, uh, being more deliberate about the s- selection of the communication that you're going to choose yeah. to get a point across. You know, certainly, email is appropriate at sometimes, but a phone call or a face-to-face or some very deliberate choice that uh, will get you to where you want to go in terms of feedback because feedback is really everything everything you do is is feedback is based on feedback and if the message isn't delivered in the right way that feedback may not be what you want or may not be constructive so I think that's why the the method at which you communicate is is critical to get the feedback you're looking for
1: that's a great point Um, rachel your turn
6: um i think mine is along similar lines um it seems obvious but i think in the day to day email is just the easiest form of communication especially when you know you find yourself working at 10 o'clock at night or early in the morning and so um it's good to have that reminder that it's not always the best way to communicate and that oftentimes um, you can deal with things in a much more productive way via the phone or via getting the whole team together on the job site. Um, I really liked what you mentioned about you know, your studio rule that if it's bad news, you should pick up the phone. I think that's a, it's a good tidbit that I'm going to take away.
4: Um, well i've been practicing this stuff for twenty years, and um, I got to say it's just an ongoing life life journey so tonight just made me rethink some things but also it's really fun for me to circle back and be back in the building industry about a year ago, I got a, a, a one of the major firms architecture firms in Boston hired me to do some work with them and it's just really fun to be circling back so i want to I want to Participate more in your world and bring my world and your world together. I would like to do that.
5: Collaboration. Yeah.
4: Collaboration. There we yeah.
5: go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually, as Moderator, I'm going to take the liberty of adding one important point of my own, which is, don't leap across the table and attack anyone. (laughs) Um, That being said, I want to thank you all for having joined us for this beginning of the fourth year of the Bad Talks. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you will also do, as John said at the beginning, and send us ideas and thoughts about potential future topics. I hope you'll join us in the spring three more times at dates to be announced soon, we hope. Um, for more of these on subjects that I hope you will also enjoy. Uh, On behalf of everybody and on behalf of this wonderful group of panelists we've got, thank you so much. Stay around, have another quick drink and a bite to eat, and uh, talk to some of these folks up front and up close. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you again.